it really is remarkable, Lord, that you used all these different individuals with their personalities to uh, write your word down. Um, we know that every word is critical. Jesus even spoke of the jot and the tittle. We are grateful to have this truth. We are grateful to have your book. Uh, we know it is the book of books. Every other book is beneath it. Every other book must bow. Every scholar must bow before your word. And we have found, Lord, that, uh, that it sustains us and it nourishes us. It gives us hope. It gives us perspective when we've lost uh, perspective. Uh, it, it, uh, it gives us the courage uh, it gives us guts to keep going when we want to quit. So tonight, Lord, we're coming from a bunch of different places. Um, a lot of us have, have been going since real early this morning. A lot of activity, a lot of people, a lot of appointments. And um, we would ask you to energize us as we study. Uh, we would ask you to... Um, meet the need of each guy that's here because we, we've got different needs, different areas, different situations, different circumstances. Some of us are really being pressed right now. Absolutely, we're in a vice and just being squeezed to death. But you know that. You know that. And that's why you allowed Paul and permitted Paul and purposed for Paul to go through things just like that so that the comfort he received, he could pass on to us. We receive that same comfort, comfort, we pass it on to others. That's just what you do. So uh, sharpen us, quicken our minds, give us a shot of energy here, and give us precisely what we need would be our prayer. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think a case could be made that Wide World of Sports is, is one of the great series in all of television. Um, I actually read a book by Jim McKay on how that whole series came about. And um, quite frankly, they didn't know what the heck they were doing. And that's probably what made it so unique. And when you turned on Why World of Sports, you never knew what you were going to see. I remember the first time I saw the guys in Canada on a frozen lake um, ice skating and then jumping over barrels. And when they didn't make it, they would impale themselves on, uh, on an oak cask. Now, one of the reasons they did that is that they were completely inebriated and didn't know what they were doing. Apparently, that's how the sport began. Uh, you know, every sport has its history, just, 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 just as baseball has its history. And you guys know that originally in baseball, the way that they would throw you out is that they would throw you out, literally. They would throw the baseball, not to the first baseman who would put his foot on the bag, but they'd, they'd nail you. And uh, that's, that's part of the history. But I digress. Wide World of Sports, you'd see all kinds of crazy things. And I remember as a kid, I'd watch Wide World of Sports. And I remember 
There, there were two things I saw in there, and I swore I would never do those, and I never have. The first one was they covered a rodeo, and I remember seeing those guys riding bulls. And I thought to myself, those guys have got more guts than anybody I know. And, uh, and, and, and I would never do that. I never have done it. I never will do it. Uh, I like watching the guys who do it, but uh, I, I'll never do it. The other thing that I swore I'd never do, and I never have done, I remember the first time I saw ski jumping. Now, there's something really wrong with that whole concept. First of all, I would submit to you that guys who live in areas where it's cold that many months out of the year, I would submit to you that the guy who came up with that was also inebriated. <laughs> uh, he's just looking for some meaning in life, and, and he's liquored up, and he finds a ramp, and he decides. But then they decided to build this chute that, uh, I mean, it's like going out of a 12-story building or 15-story. How many guys do you know jump out of 12 or 15-story buildings just to do it? But they're on skis, and they're moving so fast. And, and not only do they actually go off this thing uh, 10, 12, 15 stories over the earth, but when they come off, they do what all your instincts tell you not to do. They lean out <laughs> over the tips. Now, it's no mistake that the greatest piece of footage in the history of wide world of sports <laughs> is some inebriated Yugoslav in a competition. And, and you guys see it. I mean, you, you got it right there. You're rolling it right now. The thrill of victory. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and the agony of defeat. That sucker bounces like a dodgeball down that thing. And uh, you just never forget it. And we've all seen it about 300 times. Uh, famous uh, clip, the agony of defeat. What we're going to look at tonight is, once again, a very vulnerable, transparent look into Paul's life. He's rolling along talking to these guys in 2 Corinthians. And as he does that, and see, part of the deal is he's being attacked. His apostleship is being attacked. He's being accused of being a, a charlatan and a peddler of the word of God. And he's in it for the money, although he's not making any money. That's kind of ironic. Uh, he is uh, having to defend his apostleship. You know, you're not the real deal. Who are you? Why should we listen to you? He's having to put up with all this nonsense. And as he is writing to these folks, from time to time, it, it's, it's like he opens himself up as he does, quite frankly, in no other book. And you get a glimpse into this guy. I think a case could be made when, when you look at the great leaders of history. Uh, David, we were talking about Toynbee's book on civilizations. When, when, if you took the top, quote-unquote, 100 leaders of history, uh, honestly, when you think about it in terms, of, uh, in, in terms of, of impact, in terms of 
um, pivotal impact and impact for eternity, Paul has got to be on the top. I'm talking about men. I'm not talking about the God-man, the Lord Jesus. I'm talking about men. Uh, Paul was strategically used by God. Uh, And there is a price to be paid for leadership. Now, no Apostle Paul's in this room. We're just a bunch of average guys. But nevertheless, God has slotted us, and God has assigned us, and God has given us a role of leadership. Uh, Some more up front than others. Uh, At times, we tend to diminish and appreciate the position that he has assigned to us. We think uh, perhaps it is not significant, but can I say this to you? If he has assigned you to that post, it is significant. Uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book with the title, No Little People, No Little Places. You never know what God is going to do. You never know the impact. You You just never know. So we show up and we're faithful. And if you are in some kind of leadership role, at different points, you are going to go through many of the same events, not exact events, but the sequence and the, um, the process by which God makes men into his men. And that's what we've been looking at in this book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul really opens himself up. You know, there are different levels of communication. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's in that, uh, if you've ever been to the Family Life Conference, the, the marriage weekend, and in their notebook, they have a section for couples on communication. And they have, a, they have an illustration of the different kinds of communication. And I think there are five levels. Uh, level number one would just be the communication you would use when uh, you're walking down the hallway or you're walking into a restaurant and uh, you greet, how are you? Nice to see you tonight. It's just very superficial. It's just polite. It's just civil. We all use it. It's how we function. Level two gets a little deeper. Maybe you're in a restaurant. You greet someone. How are you? Uh, level two, you sit down and you start talking with the waiter, and as he serves you, you interact a little bit. Uh, it's not real deep, but it's more than number one. Level three gets a little deeper. Level four, you get down to level five, and level five, you're sharing your life. You're sharing uh, what's really going on. You're sharing uh, maybe your hopes and your dreams, and you're sharing your fears and your anxieties. Now, at level five, let's put it this way. Level one, we can talk to a lot of people at level one. We can talk to a lot of people at two. We can talk to a lot of people at level three. But as you move down to four and five, it's going to be fewer and fewer people. Why? Well, because we don't reveal ourselves to everybody. We don't let everybody know what's inside of us and what's going on, because quite frankly, some people will use it against you. Some people will turn on you. Uh, some people will talk about you. So to open up your life, and you, you, you have to feel that you're safe. I mean, you'd be crazy to share at that level with someone that you didn't trust. So it's only going to be a handful of people that you will open up your life to that degree with. Now, if you don't have anybody like that, you're in trouble. 
and you, and you need somebody like that. Um, I, I've said it in here before, you know, the, you don't live the Christian life alone. There are two things you can't do by yourself. You can't get married by yourself, at least not yet. I'm sure that's coming to a courtroom near you. You can't get married by yourself, not yet. Here's the second thing. You can't live the Christian life by yourself. Uh, Scripture says the two are stronger than one. That's why the Lord puts us in a body of believers. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, Hebrews says, as is the habit of some. We're to be together. We're linked. We need each other. Uh, For Paul to share at the level that he is sharing at is remarkable. Uh, We've all seen leaders that we admire and appreciate their lives, but it is rare to get close to somebody and really, really see what makes them tick, to see them behind closed doors, to, to see them when they're dealing with not just the thrill of victory, but with the agony of defeat. And every leader faces the agony of defeat, not once, but multiple times in different ways. So, 2 Corinthians, let's look, let's jump to 4, to chapter 4 tonight. And again, we're not doing this verse by verse. We're, we're trying to helicopter this thing and really hone in on the, on, the, on the places where we see Paul and the process that he is in. We're doing this so that we might understand when we go through these things, we're not the first guy to go through them. These, these difficulties and these hardships and these disappointments, we all love success. We, we all love to be... Um, a checking off our list. We, we all love to be achieving and to be accomplishing. Man, we, I mean, that's how we're wired. We're, we all love to achieve our goals. We, we love to be successful in whatever way you would, you know, uh, define that in your work, in your personal life. Uh, w- w- that's what we want. We want to be doing well in life. But there are times we're not doing well in life. We've been blindsided. We, 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 we've got the tar kicked out of us. We're, we're, we're on the side of the road bleeding. Nobody wants to be there. But that happens. And it's part of the process. And God oversees it. And God is in charge of it. And when those things happen to us, they are not outside of God's plan They are within his plan, and he will use those things to develop spiritual muscle in us. But who wants to go through it? Nobody in their right mind. So he doesn't ask us. He just says, follow me. Have you ever had the experience of praying and seeking the Lord and asking him about maybe a, a, a big decision, and all the indicators, and, and, and you're not impulsive, you're not fast, but all the indicators are yes, yes, make this move, yes, go here, yes, do this. It's almost, you know how they bring a, uh, uh, an airline 
an airliner in, into the gate. You see those guys out there? You know, they got those popsicles, and, you know. And he brings them right in. Um, it's almost like the Lord's doing that. He goes, come on, come on, here, come on, right in. You're, oh, that's good. Come on, come on. You get right up to the gate, and then bam, and you get nailed. And your father said, I thought God was leading me. Well, he was. But I didn't think it was going to turn out like this. Of course you didn't. If you had of, you never would have come. Now, there's a little bit of laughing here, but not much. That's what happens. If you knew what was waiting for you, and I thought God was leading me. He was leading you. He was leading you. He's just leading you into a time of intense character building that anybody in their right mind would detour around because none of us want it. What's that song I've heard? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Um, there's, there's, um, there's a song that goes like, like uh, whole, some guy told me not to sing anymore tonight. Came up to me and said, some of the troops in Iraq are listening to this, and, uh, and if you'd not sing, it would help the morale of the troops. <laughs> Who said that to me? Oh, it was Rick. Yeah. Rick's the guy back there with the torn ACL. And if you keep that up, Rick, you're going to have two of them. Of course, in Christian love, I speak that to you. Um, but there's a song, maybe you've heard it, Holiness. Holy, see, I'm, and now you've got me just completely. I've always felt I was gifted musically, but now I'm questioning my gift. Uh, holiness, holiness is what I long for. Uh, holiness is what I need. And then they, but then there's one that goes, brokenness. Brokenness is what I long for. And you know what I want to stop and say? No, you don't. I want to know who the yo-yo is that wrote that song. Now, it, it, now I'm, 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 I'm sure the intention was good. But uh, come on, really? Now, really? Brokenness is what you long for? Then it says, brokenness is what I need. Now that is true. But nobody longs for brokenness because of what it takes to get broken. Not if you're normal. Now if you're a super spiritual, you know, one of those guys, you might say that. But if you're normal and have got your feet on the ground, who wants to be broken? Who wants to get blindsided? Who wants to get ruined? Nobody wants that. Now, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, here's what he says. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Now, just keep your finger there and go down to verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. So you kind of got a bookend thing going here from verse 1 down to verse 16. He starts with saying, by saying, we don't lose heart. He sums it up, this section in 16, by saying, therefore, and what is a therefore? You know this from Bible study. You read your Bible, you see a therefore, you stop and see what it's there for. Because a therefore is a summary. So in 16, he's summing up what he started in 1. So you got the bookends. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, I'm in verse 1, we do not lose heart. 
Then he's going he's gonna to bring it to a conclusion, that thought, in 16, therefore we do not lose heart. So what's this do not lose heart stuff? Why, why would he even bring it up? Because the process that God uses to take men through, there will be chapters in your life where they are so difficult, and they are so disappointing, and they are so crushing, and they are so devastating that the temptation is to lose heart. And the idea here of losing heart is you want to quit. You're just sick and tired of the whole thing. You just want to bring it to a conclusion. You just want it to be over. And what's he saying here in 4.1? Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. We do not quit. But we've renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul's been under attack. Uh, If you look at uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, there's a similar thought where he says, for we are not like many uh, peddling the word of God or corrupting the word of God. I'm not corrupting it. I'm not gimmicking it. I'm just declaring what it says, he says in 17. But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. What he's saying is, what I'm teaching, what I'm preaching is the unadulterated truth. I'm not changing it. I'm not twisting it. I'm not, I'm just telling you what the Lord has said. And, And he's being under attack that that's the very thing that he is doing. And he's in a tough situation because he doesn't want to defend himself, but he sort of is forced into that. But then he goes on and says this in three. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here's what Paul understands. Paul understands that people are spiritually blind. Uh, in Ephesians 2, he said they are spiritually dead. Uh, dead men uh, don't breathe. Dead men don't think. Dead men don't act. Uh, dead men don't exercise their wills in the spiritual realm. Here he says that uh, those that don't know Christ are blinded. When you're blind, uh, verse 4, in whose case? Now, why is the gospel veiled? Well, because the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light. Blind people can't see light. Um, You have instances in the New Testament where, where Jesus would heal someone who was blind. Isn't it John 9, the guy blind from birth? What a great story, that guy. And they take him up in front of the council, and they say, you know, well, tell us about this. We're not sure about this. He said, what do you mean you're not sure about it? Once I was blind, now I can see. What else do you need to know? And they didn't like him at all. And, and he didn't like them either. I mean, he was just a straight shooting guy. Listen, I've been blind all my life from the moment I was born, and this Jesus comes by, and now I can see. I can see a fly on, on a doorknob 75 feet away. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. How do you explain that? See, that's how we were before Christ came into our lives. 
We were not only dead, but we were blind. You can't see the light. You can't. That's why in verse 1, Paul says, we have received mercy. The blind man in John 9 had received mercy. Jesus touched him, and now he can see. When Paul was on the road to uh, Damascus, there was a great light. And what did the light do, interestingly enough? It blinded him. And he was blind for what, three days? Until someone, the the Lord spoke to uh, um, uh, Ananias and said, hey, this, this guy Saul over here, he's one of my chosen servants. I want you to go over there and I want you to minister to him. And Ananias starts explaining some things to the Lord. Now, now, now Lord, this guy Saul, now, Lord, this is the guy that loves to ambush Christians. This is the guy that likes to uh, incarcerate. This is, but you got to give Ananias credit. He obeyed. Uh, see, see, Paul knew what it was to be blind. Uh, he received mercy. And as a result of receiving mercy, he had this ministry, which was to declare truth to other blind people. Now, you know, guys, it's our job, it's our job as God gives opportunity to share the truth. You don't walk into work with your pockets stuffed full of tracks. And everybody you see, you hand them a track. And you don't necessarily have to uh, leave a track in every toilet stall that you ever find yourself in. Um, What you can do is allow the Lord to lead you as he gives you opportunity, and you declare the truth as he gives opportunity. That's what we would call the outward call. But only the Spirit of God can give the inward call. Only he can do that work. Only he Only he can open blind eyes. Only he can raise the dead and um, regenerate them so that they can say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. That's how the process starts. That's how it started with Paul. Now, so the Lord came into Paul's life, changed his life, made him a new creature, saved him from his sin, and now he's putting him on a course and he's got something for Paul to do. Now, that's what he's done in our lives. We were blind, we were dead, we had no interest. He came after us. He pursued us. Jesus said, all that the Father has given me will come, and you've come. So you're saved from your sin. But now he's got a new course. Now he's got a new path, and he's got a work for you to do. So in order to do the work and be prepared for the work, he's going to take you through adversity in order to build the muscle that you're going to need to be the servant he wants you to be. Still tracking with me? This is kind of a setup for where we're going. That's why he says in verse 5, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now catch this. This is key. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? The treasure of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's within us. The Spirit of God lives with us. That light is now within us. The earthen vessels, that's us. You see? All right, now follow this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Now here we go. Here we go. Now we're going to see inside the life of this great, great leader. 
I think a lot of times, I, I've done this, you see people up front and you think, man, they got it, they're just cruising, they got it together. I just tell you right now, that's not how it works. Because uh, people that have significant ministries out of the scriptures, number one, if they have some visibility, how'd they get there? God raised them up and God put them there. Um, Warren Worsby used to say that faith is living without scheming. That's pretty good. Um, if you're following Christ, you don't have to promote yourself. You let him promote you. You, 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 don't, have to, uh, you, you don't have to hire a PR firm to let people know what you're doing. You just follow him. And at the right time, what, what does Peter say, uh, you young men? Uh, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, God will exalt you. See, uh, Francis Schaeffer, another, he had a great sermon. Uh, and the sermon was called, Seek the Lower Place. He had an illustration. Schaefer, Francis Schaeffer said, if you were offered two positions, uh, and you're not sure which one to take, and as you pray about it and as you seek the Lord, you're not sure which position to take, then take the lesser of the two. There's great wisdom there. See, the natural tendency is to take the best, the most prestigious. That no, you, you, If you're not sure, if you don't have clarity, take the lesser of the two. Because indeed, if God wants you in that higher place, he will circumstantially and providentially work so that that's where you will be. But don't presume, don't presume if it's not clear that that's where you should be. You let him promote you. Now, that runs against the grain of the thinking in our culture or any culture. So those who God raises up have been through a process before they've been raised up. They don't have it together. They don't have everything wired. Uh, they know what it is to hurt. They know what it is to be crushed. They, well, just look at this guy. Now, he's going to get into it in verse 5. Now, let's, let's watch this. Here's a description of perhaps the greatest leader in, in history, other than Lord Jesus Christ. So how does he describe himself? He says, we are afflicted in every way. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Actually, it's not. But he's just being very honest here. He says, here's where I am. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. See, you know, and uh, just a brief thought, why, why is he in this place? Why is he dealing with all this stuff? Well, leaders, leaders um, uh, tend to be confident. Leaders who have a, a string of success 
tend to be real confident. Uh, guys who have done real well in their careers, worked real hard, disciplined themselves, paid their dues, uh, have achieved uh, a modicum of success, and they've had it for a long time, they tend not to be confident. They tend to be overconfident. Now, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 5, here's Paul's secret. And if anybody had a right to be confident, it was Paul. With his pedigree, with his education, with his uh, Jewish heritage. Know what he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So the things that we tend to take credit for, that we've done, I mean, really, when you analyze it, why are you taking credit? You have an aptitude in a particular area, so you excel in that area? Okay, let me ask you this. Where did you get the aptitude? Where did you get the gift? Where did you get the skill set? Where did you get the ability uh, to articulate in situations where you need to articulate? Where did you get the opportunity to, to hyper-focus in a situation to do research? Where did you get that? And why is, it, why is it that when you are studying in that particular area or researching, or why is it that when you're on a sales call, you can read a group of people and read a room like some people would read a book? You intuitively know what's going on. You can pick this guy up and this guy up, and you process that, and then you adjust your presentation, even as you're making that. Phenomenal. That's wonderful. You might even teach courses on how to sell because you're successful. But where did you get that ability to process and to articulate and to read people? Where did it come from? It was given to you. So see, our confidence ought to be not in ourselves, but in the one who has given us all things. That's where our confidence is. What happens is we get all screwed up and we start thinking, hey, you know, hey, I bring some stuff to the table. You bring nothing to the table. Uh, he gives you breath so you can get to the table. He's given you everything. Paul understood that. <sighs> leaders, tend to be, uh, leaders tend to be confident and they tend to be strong-willed. So he's got to take us through this process. Now, I, I want to I camp here just a little bit because... because uh, this is what we're going to experience at different points in our lives. Isn't this encouraging? That's supposed to be funny. But it's sort of, sort of funny. Uh, we are afflicted in every way. At this particular point in his life, Paul looked around, and just about every area of his life, he was hurting. He was struggling. It wasn't coming together. Uh, he wasn't competent, he wasn't strong, he wasn't adequate, he didn't have what he needed. He just, he was afflicted in every way. So what would some of those areas be? Well, he's probably afflicted uh, financially, probably struggling there. He was probably uh, afflicted physically. Uh, well, we know that's true. 
flip over. Let's see if I can find this. Flip over to uh, 2 Corinthians 11. Once again, having to defend a little bit of his apostleship. 2 Corinthians 11, verse uh, 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments. Catch this. Beaten times without number. He'd been beaten so many times, he couldn't even count them. All right, now let's stop and think about that about that for a minute. So, uh, and there was no Tylenol. There's no Excedrin PM. Nothing, nothing like that. H- how well do you think Paul slept at night? He didn't. He didn't. Just from the beatings that he had taken that he couldn't even count. How well do you think his body How often do you think Paul had blood in his urine? Honestly, because of the internal hemorrhaging that had taken place. I wonder uh, how many bones he had that were broken that had not been set correctly. Now, we don't know. We don't know. But you say, wait a minute, now aren't you reading more into this? I don't think so because this is just one thing he experienced. Being beaten Times without number. Uh, I mean, that, that's all I'd need to hear. Uh, no, no one's ever beat me for the gospel. But see, he's just getting started. I've been beaten times without number. Uh, often in danger of death. Uh, you got anybody hunting you? You got anybody stalking you? you got, he had this all the time. All the time. And you know what? Paul didn't go around with, uh, with he, he didn't go around with bodyguards. He didn't have any security guys. There, there was nobody around Paul with an earpiece and packing. Nobody. Um, oh, and then this is delightful. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Now, you know why they didn't give you 40. They only gave you 39. You know why? Because 40 would kill you. So if you were uh, on a if you were on a, a missionary journey with Paul and uh, you guys come to a river and you're going to jump in and clean up, Paul takes off his shirt, his back would look like raw hamburger. Because he hadn't taken 39 lashes once, he had taken them five times. Beaten times without number, five times, 39 lashes. So here's another reason this guy didn't sleep. Because he couldn't sleep on his back. Because it was so tender and so sensitive. I wonder if he had infections that he dealt with that were still lingering from all of those lashings. I wonder how many fevers he dealt with. You know what, guys? We, 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 we are so blessed out of our socks, we don't even know what we're doing. We have no idea what this guy dealt with. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Oh, that's a pleasant experience. I mean, I can cripple a guy. Once I was stoned, they would take uh, not, not pieces of gravel, they'd take big, as big a rocks as they could pick up and throw. And this happened to Paul in the book of Acts, and they thought he was dead. He should have been dead. 
How many bones were broken in this? How much internal hemorrhage? And, he, and there's more. But let's go back. So you see when he says he's afflicted in every way, you kind of get what this guy's talking about? This guy was afflicted in every way. Everywhere he looked in his life, he was afflicted. This great leader. And God, Campus Crusade in their little Four Spiritual Law booklet, Law 1 says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I wonder if anybody shared that little book with Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul, Law 1. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Five times, 39 lashes. Beaten times without number. Three times beaten with rod. See, but that was a wonder. That was part of God's plan. To make this guy in, into the man that God wanted him to be. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Isn't that amazing? See, sometimes you think you can't go on, but see... By God's grace, you can go on. Uh, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We don't quit. Note the next thing he says. We are perplexed. Perplexed. I'm really glad he said this. The idea here is we are utterly baffled. We are at our wit's end. Has that ever happened to you? You ever ask yourself, why? Why is this happening in my life? Why am I going through this? Why does it seem that everything is turning against me? Why can't I catch a break? Why did I just get through this, and then I'm in this, and why is it? Did it ever cross your mind? Or are you a prosperity preacher? And you know that God always wants you well. And God always wants you wealthy. And he wants you driving a new car every six months and getting a new jet every two years. See, that's a false gospel. That's a counterfeit gospel. Paul was perplexed. I am so glad he said that because I get perplexed. I get baffled. And I try not to because I know he said, so, so Lord, I mean, what is the deal here? Why, why? Why, why, why am I getting blindsided like this? Do you, you guys ever felt that way? Then you're in real good company. And by the way, God doesn't owe you an explanation. He's God. He doesn't have to explain. And, and at times, you better hope he doesn't explain. Because when he, took, when he took Job and started explaining, Job didn't have a whole lot to say. Have you seen that commercial, this new commercial, that this guy who's playing golf with Tiger Woods and he's trying to line up a putt? Have you seen this yet? This is a great commercial. And this sucker, Tiger's standing over there, and this guy comes over and he addresses the ball. And as soon as he steps up the ball, this sucker just starts shaking uncontrollably. I mean, he cannot control himself. And then he steps back and he's fine. And Tiger looks at him and he says, you need to take a minute? <laughs> And the guy says, no, I'm, I'm fine. And he steps back up, and he just can't take it. But he's in the presence of the greatest golfer in the world. See, you don't want to ask God for an explanation, because if he ever does to you what he did to Job, uh, I mean, you'd have an accident right there. 
you, you, you couldn't handle it. You'd be looking for a box of Depends. Because you'd be shaking in awe. Where were you when I laid out the oceans? Tell me that. Psalm 119, verse 68. The Lord is good and does good. He'll baffle us because we don't understand. But he's going to give us a glimpse here in a minute. Paul then says, we're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're not in despair because I know something. What do I know? I know that God is running this show. We're persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Uh, look, look at this, verse 11. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, sometimes, guys, you got to go through the death process. Sometimes you got to go through it in your marriage in order for life to come out of your marriage. Sometimes you got to go through it in your career for life to come out in that area of your life. Sometimes you have to go through it in your, in your health because God wants to do something else that's more important than just physical well-being. Uh, jump down to 16. He says, therefore... Here we go. We do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not quit. Now catch this. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. See, we're interested in the outer man. We're interested in, um, in our bodies. We're interested in our well-being. We're interested in our lives. We're interested in things going well. We're interested in, in, uh, in, in health. We're interested in, uh, in affluence. We're interested in, in uh, everything, relationships, good, just everything good. You, you know, hey, man, how you doing? It's all good. You ever heard that phrase? That's the new phrase. How you doing? It's all good. Okay? Well, actually, it isn't, but that's what we say. Um, see, we want it to be good because we're into the outer man. God is really in big time to the inner man. That's what God's into. So what he wants to do is build up that inner man. And, and, and he wants, and, and see, quite frankly, he'll even let your outer body decay. He'll even do, he'll let your career decay. He'll let your uh, relationships decay because he can use that in order to build you inside to become the man that he wants you to be. And you're so dependent on him, you know you could lose those things that are very dear to you, your career, your marriage. You could lose this because you're a realist. And if he doesn't come through for you, you are dead and you are finished. You know that. But see, that's the process by which he uses to develop us inside to be the men that he wants us to become. You talk about understatement. It's verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Is that not 
uh, I mean, really, for momentary light affliction. What this guy had been through, he calls light affliction. But see, he's, he's standing back and looking at the big picture. He didn't have a telephoto lens on. He, he's not close up here. He, he's pulled back wide angle is what he's doing. By the way, can I ask you something? Where is Paul right now? This is not a trick question. He's in heaven. He's in the presence of the Lord. All this stuff he went through. Now, as he looks at it, momentary. Momentary. That's how we'll look at it one day. We're not there yet. See, that's why he can say it's light. Momentary. John Piper's written a great book called The Hidden Smile of God. Now, that is a great title. You got that? Think about that. Not the smile of God, the hidden smile of God. Uh, this is a uh, book about uh, three men in church history. Uh, the first one is John Bunyan. The second one is William Cooper, or it looks like Cowper, but it's pronounced Cooper. And the next one is David Brainerd. I got a couple of minutes here, don't I, Lou? How many do I have? Yeah, we're trying to fit this on a CD. I got five? Okay. okay. Catch this. The afflictions of John Bunyan gave us the pilgrim's progress. The afflictions of William Cooper gave us the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, and God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And the afflictions of David Brainerd gave us a published diary that has mobilized more missionaries than any other similar work. There is a certain irony to the fruit of these afflictions. The title of this chapter is called Where the Fruit of Affliction Grows. The Fruit of Affliction. I forgot to read a quote that he has on the top of the page from John Bunyan. Catch this. Bunyan said, It is said that in some countries trees will grow but will bear no fruit because there is no winter catch that you got to have winter to get fruit there's a certain irony to the fruit of these afflictions Bunyan's confinement he was confined for 12 years in prison taught him the pilgrim path of Christian freedom Cowper's mental illness yielded sweet music of the mind for troubled souls Brainerd's smoldering misery of isolation and disease exploded in global missions beyond all imagination. Irony and disproportion are all God's way. He keeps us unbalanced with his unpredictable connections. We think we know how to do something big, and God makes it small. We think that all we have is weak and small, and God will make it big. Let me jump to this. Uh, uh, Brainerd uh, had tuberculosis at the age of 22, and he ministered to the Indians in New Hampshire because no one was ministering to him. So he went out there, and he would cough up blood in the snow, and then he would go preach to these Indians. And he kept his diaries, and the guy died at 27 years old. But more people have gone to the, missionary, to the mission field from reading Brainerd than any, probably any other missionary in history. 
Uh, Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He was in prison for 12 years. But you know what's interesting about Bunyan? He could have he been let out. Any, any day he said, guys, let me out. Because what they said to him was, John, you just need to promise not to preach the gospel. The day you tell us that, we'll let you out. And he couldn't do it. And his family would come and visit him. And he had a little daughter named Mary who was blind from birth. And every time she'd visit and leave, he said it was like someone pulling the marrow out of my bones. It just killed him. But while he was in there, he wrote 60 books. He's the most widely read author in history. Uh, William Cooper, Cowper, uh, struggled with mental illness and depression. Uh, tried to commit suicide several times. The despair was so great. I'll finish with this, uh, these words from the hymn of William Cowper. Cooper. All right, follow this, okay? And we're done. The, the thing about this, this, these hymns this guy would write is the depth. You know that song I, yeah, I've told you? I've been in these churches and they sing... A while back, I was in a church, and they were saying, I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. And I thought they were going to. <laughs> I mean, they just wouldn't stop singing it. And I was thinking, okay, why don't you sing of it? But they kept threatening to do it. <laughs> I could sing of your love forever. All right, well, tell me about his love. What kind of love does he have? But they didn't do that. They just kept saying they were going to do it, but they never did it. This guy doesn't do that. This guy has something to say. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up bright designs and works his sovereign will. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. He's calling the shot. Some of you are eating those bitter buds. But sweet will be the flower. We thank you, Lord, for truth. We thank you for giving us some explanation. Because we get baffled. We're trying to figure this out. Lord, quite frankly, we don't know what the heck we're doing. But you do. So we yield to you, we surrender to you, we tell you that we're confused, we, we tell you that we're perhaps at our wit's end. But Lord, if we know you're working, if we know that, we won't lose heart, we won't quit. We'll keep punching in, we'll keep showing up, even when we don't have a clue, even when we get discouraged even when we're beat up on every side, even when our outer man is decaying, you're doing something in our inner man. We like big, 
and you often make us small. We like strong, and you often make us weak. But that's how you do it. We'll trust you, and we'll trust your ways, and we'll trust your methods, even when we don't understand. And we believe that when providence frowns, that there is behind it a smiling face. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.